0: We're continuing our series, uh, Fruitfulness on the Front Line, and uh, you all know by now where your front line is, don't you? Yes, with confidence. It's all—it's um, when you're in any context where there are non-Christians, where you can make an impact, not just through your words but through the things you do. Uh, we've looked at many different things. We had the introduction. We've uh, looked at where you can do it in the workplace and what work is. It's not just. Where you get paid work, it's anything that's not uh, leisure time. But uh, this morning, we're looking at making an impact um, with your grace and love. Uh, these two uh, words. That actually, we've sung a lot about uh, this morning, grace and love. And I guess if you had to have an equal sign next to it, you'd say, well, kindness. Um, because if you have to show grace to someone, you've got to be kind. Because the definition of grace is is giving something that's not deserved. So you have to be kind and love. You know, we're made in the image of God and the Bible says God is love. It should be something that just permeates uh, from us. And there's so much hatred and discord in the world that I thought this was really good uh, that we've come across this this week, where we can be a people of kindness, people of grace, people of love, people that are different, people that are not conforming any longer to the pattern of this world, people who are being transformed by the renewing of your minds, And that's just what we've been called to do, to be ambassadors for him. And so I've got uh, a few readings, first of all, and then we're going to talk about that as, as we uh, go through. First bit of this is from Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. And uh, uh, the first bit is like where you were. right? It's the old you, if you're, if you're a Christian now. If you're not a Christian now, it's where you are. But if you're not a Christian now, it's not where you want to be. Uh, you want to make that leap uh, from the old To the new, and we can help you with that uh, this morning. But Ephesians 2 1 to 10, uh, words of Paul to the Ephesian church. As for you, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. He's basically saying you had no hope. You had no hope. You were dead in them, right? There was no hope for you, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. What is disobedience? It's rebellion against God, refusing to believe in him, going your own way, thinking we know best, thinking, putting us ourselves in the place of God. He goes on in verse 3, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath, I mean, It's not a really nice place to be, which is why if you're in that place now, we need to help you come out of it. And then verse 4, and this is the new now, this is the, this is the good news, which is what gospel means. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, even though we didn't deserve it, he makes us alive. Because it says, it is by grace you have been saved. It means you didn't deserve it. It means you've been given it. Verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's our verses there, right there about grace. There's loads I've could have picked, but I thought this was the uh, most apt one. Some people, you know, something happens, and they say, that' well, that's karma, that is, they deserve that. Uh, they they really I've got, I like looking at motorbike videos. Andrew would tell you I go on Facebook and there was a motorbike one. I click on it and then an hour's gone. It's amazing. It's incredible how much you can waste your time uh, on my fa- on on um, uh, the uh, the iPad. You know, I'll sort of look up you know UK motorbike road rage, and uh, to see I do it for learning purposes to see how to <laughs> drive my motorbike better. But what's in there? There's one called Instant Karma. You know, you see sort of. You know, some motorcyclist going along and, and a car cuts him up and then he smashes his wind mirror. And then, but then he falls off his motorbike and you think, no, no one wins. You know, instant karma. And some people like that. They like to see people getting what they deserve. Grace is the opposite. Grace is us receiving what we don't deserve. Some definitions. Uh, first one, B.B. Warfield. Grace is free sovereign favour to the ill-deserving. John Stott said, grace is love that cares and stoops and rescues. Jerry Bridges, grace is God reaching downwards to people who are in rebellion against him. And Paul's out grace is unconditional love toward a person who does not deserve it. God gives us his grace. It's called grace because we can't earn it. We can't demand it. It's given and we can accept it. He says, I'm going to do for you I love you so much, I'm going to do for you something that you actually don't really deserve. He sends his son, he dies for us, and he takes our stuff on the cross, and he does that for us. Grace is most needed, really, if you really have an understanding of our own sin and the suffering in the world and the brokenness that's all around us. And we live in a world that talks about earning and deserving and merit, like you've got to earn everything. And really, if we go that way in faith, really all that's left is judgment. Because you can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't merit it. It's given. It's freely given. It's grace. And it's why everybody wants and needs grace. Judgment kills. Only grace makes people alive. And that's the life that Christ offered us. The shorthand uh, for what grace is, is it's mercy, not merit. You can't earn it. You accept it. Grace is the opposite of the karma that so many people talk about, which is all about getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve and not getting what you do deserve. I don't have to pay for my wrongdoings. And when you say that to people who are not Christians, they feel, well, you're a bit of a cheater then. Well, in a sense, I'm cheating the penalties of sin. Jesus has paid for me. That's grace. I don't get what I deserve I get what I don't deserve. I get a promised eternity. I get God in my life now. I'm filled with the Spirit. I can live for him. I don't deserve it, but he gives me it. And Christianity teaches what we deserve is death with no hope of a resurrection, but instead we're given life and freedom. So how much more, if God has shown me that amount of grace, how much more should I show grace to people who don't deserve it? But it's hard, isn't it, when it's done to you? and you kind of hold on to it a little bit, and you know, then you're up at two in the morning, and you know what the right thing to do is. You know, we make it really difficult, but it's in there, isn't it? Forgiveness, and thinking the best of others, don't bear grievances, and we get it, we get it in church. You know, People resent, and it's not good, and it's not healthy. So grace, we need more grace, and that's our grace verse. Our so love verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 1-13. Paul's basically saying, if you can have all the gifts in the world, but you haven't got love, it, it means nothing. He said, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I might boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonour others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love For now we only see a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. And Jesus said, they'll tell if you're my disciples. If you love one another, never said it about the gifts or all the. In fact, he said, Some of you have th- done miracles in my name and get away from me. I didn't even know you. He says, You'll know them by their love. And then we have love in action. And again, I could have picked many verses and Good Samaritan and all the sorts of ones, but I'll pick this one. So Matthew 25 34. Uh, to fourteen. And this is what we need. We can, we can have the theory about grace and the theory about love and mercy and forgiveness and everything else, but we've got to see the outworking of it. We've got to be people that are, that are uh, people on the front lines recognize us as different. Matthew 25, verse 34 Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. When did we see you, a stranger, invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly i tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You know, I, find now, I find that so empowering that the smallest act, you're actually setting the bar low here, which I'm going to come on to, the smallest act of kindness, the smallest act of grace or love can make such a difference it 's as if you 're doing it for him. Imagine if you walk down the high street or in your schools, colleges, universities, workplace, and the smallest act is as if you did it for jesus personally because that 's what his word says as a sixteen year old long time ago now, um, I was quite unsure of myself. You might think i 'm this confident. Uh, person and I guess sometimes I am but I have my own insecurities as well because I'm human and I'm not perfect yet but I was surrounded by all these confident people I in this trading room I was only 16 I couldn't afford a suit I uh, used to wear a blue blazer and grey pharras remember them grey crocodile plastic effect shoes because I couldn't afford proper ones and I don't know what my mum and dad were thinking let me go to work like that but somehow they persevered with me and um, we, used to, we used to get twenty five to sign at Gigi's, which was a coffee house uh, just up the road in Copto Avenue, just off London Wall. And, and that basically saved me. So I was on really, really little money, and I could sign twenty five and get my lunch and a bit of breakfast. That was a lot then. This is 1984. Um, I did work out a bit of a scam. Wasn't a Christian then, where I found out who was on holiday, and I'd sign theirs as well. But I got found out soon after, and but I didn't lose my job. And I'm not recommending you do that. Um, Anyway, I had this cheese and onion sandwich once, and uh, I was a bit peckish uh, about 11 o'clock before lunchtime, so I opened it up, and it did what a cheese and its raw onion. It did what a cheese and onion sandwich does. It really smelt and. The deany room, only about 20 people in there. So what's that smell? And I said, oh no, here we go. And they came over, one of them came over. He said, Smith, this is ridiculous. It stinks. And took it, screwed it up, took it outside, put it in the bin. And, and I couldn't afford. I had no money. I couldn't afford another. So I'd be going hungry. I was also stubborn uh, in those days because a trader did say to me, it's really out of order. I'll offer to get you another one. But I didn't. Instead, I sold and uh, stayed hungry all day long. And I have to say, I didn't feel like I fitted in. Um, they were all older than me. Most of them had been to university, and I hadn't. Um, and I just felt a bit out of it. And I thought, I'm never going to really make the grade. And I was a bit lost, really, in a world that I didn't understand. And later in the week, one of the other traders said, uh, Ian, tomorrow, bring your kid in. And I didn't really know what he meant. I said, that's a odd thing to say. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, bring your, bring your gym kit. And he said, I've, I belong to a gym, and I'm going to take you to my gym. The gym was called Cannon's. Uh, just off Cannon Street. It took him ages to think up the name, but there you go. Um, and he took me to Cannon's and he, uh, we had a workout. He said, You're gonna come as my guest. So brilliant. So we had this workout, and he, and and then we had a swim. So we had this swim. And afterwards he said, Oh, you know, he said, I brought you to the gym, and so guest passed. I think he had to pay a five or whatever. I said, Why don't you buy the orange juices? And I was so embarrassed because I had no money. And I said, I'm really sorry, Keith, I can't I can't buy the orange juice, and I felt really bad. And he said, look, don't worry, I'll get them. And then he spent, it wasn't long before um, the Big Bang and everything else was happening, so I actually didn't work with him for a huge length of time, but about a year. And uh, he spent that time just every now and again offering advice and generally looking out for me and trying to steer me in the right direction. And then we all went our own separate ways, I didn't see him for ages. Years later, I was established in my career, I was running my own desk, and he was a rival. He was a rival, and I saw him in a wine bar, a joint client's uh, thing that we went to, and I spoke about it. I said, you know, you really encouraged me. It really meant a lot to me, what you did. You know when you took me to the gym and you used to take me aside, and he said, I've got no recollection. I have no clue what you're talking about. He had no idea. He didn't have any idea that he'd made any kind of impact on my life, but he gave me a bit of confidence and he encouraged me to keep working hard, keep my head down, take the exams, and stick with it. He had no recollection at all, but for me it was different. I'm 52 now, it's 36 years ago, and I'm speaking about it at this service. For him, it was such a small act, he didn't even remember. For me, I still talk about it 36 years ago. He made an impact on me. In, In his own way, he showed grace, grace and love and kindness. He had a job, he had a young family. At the time, I remember thinking he's really old, but I worked it out, he was 24. Um, (laughs) When you're 16, you know, it's it's a lot. He was carving out his own career. I was the new boy. He didn't have to do what he did. No one told him to do that for me. He did it under his own strength. And And that's what grace is like. That's what grace is. Grace doesn't have to, But grace does. Grace is on the lookout for the opportunities. Love doesn't have to, but love does. And love is alert to the possibilities. It could be the Shemite wife in 2 Kings 4 that doesn't have to extend hospitality to Elisha his itinerant ministry, but she does. She doesn't have to encourage her husband to build and furnish a room on their roof so Elisha can have a place to stay whenever he passes by, but she does. She didn't have to, but she did. Jesus in Matthew 8, he doesn't have to heal Simon Peter's mother-in-law. No one actually asked him to, but he does. He just does it. He doesn't have to, in John 5, go over and heal the paralysed man who couldn't get into the pool fast enough the man didn't even cry out to him, but he does. He doesn't have to, one of my favourites in John 2, turn water into wine, but he does. He doesn't have to raise Lazarus from the dead. And even though he's going to do it, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, because he enters into the suffering with us, even when he knows it's all going to be okay in the end. But he does. He doesn't have to do any of it. He doesn't, when I say he, this is God himself, Jesus, God himself, he didn't have to come to earth for you and for me. He doesn't have to take my sin, my wrong stuff and your wrong stuff and go to the cross and die agonise agonising death to pay for it. But he does. Jesus doesn't have to do any of those things, but he did them. And that's grace and mercy and love. Because grace and love don't have to, but they do it anyway. Grace and love are beyond the have-tos. The have-tos is a duty. Grace and love is I want to do it because I care for that person so much. And we've looked in this series at the things we do in a godly way, but grace and love are beyond are beyond just having the rule book and the have-tos. And you can express, and I want to encourage you this morning, that in loads of different ways during the week, you can express grace and love just by taking the initiative in something, in a situation, or someone Uh, or simply by responding with greater generosity. We're made in the image of God, and there is a generosity of God, a lavishness about God's grace when you think about what he's done for us. The king of the universe does not have to forgive our rebellion. He doesn't have to send his son to die for you. He doesn't have to send his spirit to comfort, counsel, change and empower you. He doesn't have to lavish on you, uh, uh, as Paul says in Ephesians two seven, the incomparable riches of his grace. But he does. Such is his grace. It doesn't only express itself in the big things, which that is a big thing. I mean, personal relationship with God and having my sin paid for, that's the biggest thing. That means I'm assured of eternity. I don't have to fear death. And that offer is open to everybody. You can't earn it, but you can accept it by grace, because by grace you have been saved, and this comes to you through faith given by God himself. But it's not only the big stuff. We can set, I think, the bar too high. We think, oh, it's only for the really important people or the special uh, people, We can get in this habit of really thinking, well, real ministry is about the big things. Maybe it's a big project or an evangelistic event. Or this person's really good with the homeless. Or they're a great counsellor. And it's great to have all of those things. Of course it is. But really, when you strip any ministry down, it just means serving others. That's what minister means. And Jesus came as a servant, didn't he? It means, I think, in our world today, which is so fast-paced, to stop, to pause, to think, to see, to engage with the reality of how God will use you. we've we've, We've had a good week. We've had a great time uh, recently, but i had some tough times as well and this past week has been particularly tough someone sent me an email from overseas so just thinking of you I want to know you, that we're praying for you and then someone sent me a text yesterday saying pretty much the same things it lifts you up it's just a bit of grace and love it doesn't actually take a lot just the word at the right time seek the opportunities seek the possibilities that grace and love give us you can engage with the person on the checkout. I mean, I think they get bored, me and Andrew. We get we start chatting away. Andrew's great, here, but we start chatting away, and asking about their day and everything else. And it's quite fun. And uh, I mean, there's a blessing with it as well, because the person behind you is getting the right thumb. And I love looking at their faces. It will be gone soon. You know, it's not grace and love, is it? It's probably bad I did that, but I enjoy it. Um, looking for those that are, that to so many, are invisible. You know, it could be the cleaner that you pass at work every morning. It could be the caretaker in the school. It could be the rubbish collectors. Maybe just every now and again saying, Thank you, we really appreciate what you're doing. It could be in the restaurant, you need to show grace sometimes because the poor 18 year old girl comes with a message that something's wrong, with it, wrong in the kitchen. It's not her fault, but you know, you get angry a bit and. Maybe, no, it's time to show grace. You can show grace in love, making people around you feel valued rather than feeling worthless. Because I can tell you as a minister, uh, behind closed doors, a lot of people struggle. And they struggle with their self-image or self-esteem or their health. They don't need any more bad stuff. The world can give that much of the time, not all of the time. But as Christians, if we can see them And acknowledge them instead of them feeling invisible. It can make a huge difference. Don't underestimate what you can do. I used to go to you know the petrol garages down in Ballyricky, where the uh, the BP one. You know you go for petrol and you spend you know double that on food by the time you come out because it's all so good in Marks and Spencers. And um, I used to go I used to go to the till there, and. Uh, they nev- uh, this is years ago. I'm not saying anything now. They never used to speak. I don't know if you know that. I used to go up there and I'd, I'd say, "Bump number four, please," and then they'd do all that business. And it, it'd come up, and I thought, well, "I'm going to wait. I want to be treated like a human being. I'm going gonna- to want them to tell me that it's 46 pound 54, you know." But nothing. And then there'd be a standoff, <laughs> okay? Until you. And so there's this thing, and I used to get quite agitated uh, about it. I wanted to feel valued. I wanted to be treated like a customer. I wanted to be treated like a human being. And I wanted to prove a point, truth be told. You know, now, I just engage with them first. I'm glad it all works out. But it's actually a really simple process. Because that was the wrong heart. I was demanding something of them. And that's not grace. Demanding is not grace. Grace is freely given. And so now what I do, I go in and I say, hi. You know, pump number four, how are you doing? And they've got to answer me, haven't they? And now they're all chatty. Every time I go in there now, they're all chatty. And they start talking, it's just gone back. And they think they know, I think they think I'm a nice man, but I go in, or maybe they think is that nutter who keeps talking to us. I don't know. But they, now they smile, and, and maybe you've always gone in there have done that with you, it's just me. But, but I find that if I engage with people, and if I think about them, ask them uh, how their day's going, and just being polite and saying please and thank you, I think it makes a big difference. Engage with them first. Ask, ask how their day's going. Look for those opportunities to serve. Remember one of the earlier readings from Matthew 25. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine you did for me, whatever you did. It's not just the big stuff, as important as that is, it's all the the little stuff as well. It's not just all the big ministry stuff. I think here Jesus, possibly deliberately, is setting the bar pretty low. He's basically saying you give someone a cup of water, it's like you gave it to me. I mean, that's easy enough to do if someone was thirsty or maybe it's a visit, or just a small bit of hospitality. It's not that difficult. The principle is there. You can minister grace and love through the small things, those small acts of kindness done unselfconsciously to serve others. I've often had people approach me, on the receiving end of the illustration I gave at the beginning, to thank me for something I maybe did or said in the past. No, honestly, most of the time, I don't remember it. But I think, great, it's a blessing to me. Maybe they got the wrong person. I don't think they did. But it's just allowing God to work through you and his spirit is in you and let it become a natural outworking of the grace and love that God has already shown me. Just imagine if now you go out of this place and you go to the supermarket during the week and you view it as your front line with some of these attitudes. You'd have a totally different mindset. If you're anything like me, you know, I'm, I, you know Andrew's going up and down the aisles and, and I'm putting stuff in that we don't really need. But so let's try that, something different. Um, and we get to the tills. And I, I immediately, the old trader comes back in, right, it's 12 tills. Okay, uh, there's a lot of old people over that end. We'll leave them. They'll be ages. Um, or oh, that one, that cashier looks a bit uh, slow. And, and I'm working it out. I can't get out of there quick enough. Right? And invariably, as ever, I get it wrong. And I go on the queue that's seen the fastest, and I think, oh, the old people are actually pretty quick, and really good, and, and they've gone through, and they didn't talk too much. Now this woman in front of me is talking. She's probably heard my sermon um, to engage him with the, with the, with the cashier. But I want to get out of there as quick as I can. But imagine going there and thinking, no, I'm, I'm going, and this is part of my front line. You'd begin to notice people, wouldn't you? You'd smile maybe at the stressed mum with the young kids, ask how the day's going, or the person behind you. We do this occasionally, although I'm not that good yet. If they've got too much, it doesn't happen. But if they've got like three or four items and we've got shopping, do you want to go first? And they're staggered. They're going, really? Yeah, just, yeah you've only got a few things. you know. Hopefully they don't talk to a cashier like I've asked them to. But, but we let them go, and it's those small things. If they seem in a hurry and as I say it's against my natural strategy to do quick maths about how quickly I can get out of there but if I can start thinking of that as my front line asking God to give me the promptings if there's an opportunity maybe just taking time to say hello to the staff it's just one example it's not always convenient but it can be really exciting when you realize God is using you um, I was up at stock their minister for nearly 10 years we had a good time there Uh, But the problem with stock in a village is is you go out to buy a newspaper, particularly if you're the minister, and you've gone for hours. Because you get to know everybody. We knew everything that was going on. And the thing that scared me the most, they knew everything that was going on with us as well. It was just a bit like that. But there was lots of ministry around the village where you just got talking to people. You saw everybody listening. You get to know a lot of people. And it, it came back to me this past week I went with uh, an old city colleague and plus an ex uh, hedge fund bloke, and we went in the hoop and had dinner. And um, uh, when I was in there, we we had to wait for a table and we eventually sat down. And over the course of the evening, I think around 20 people must have come over and said, Hello, Ian, how are you doing? Remember, I told you about my son, you prayed for him, and you think, Yeah, I don't even remember his son's name. I, I can't, you know, I know these conversations must have happened. But my friends couldn't believe it. They said, "We can't come here again. We can't eat our meal." And I said, "How do you know all these people?" I said, "I just got to know them over the years. I just used to walk around, and I mean, I got paid to do this stuff. You know, I'd walk around and just chat to people, and it was great. If I start to see them as nuisances and interruptions, that'd be the wrong heart. Of course, they weren't. I was really pleased they remembered. Even I was surprised a bit, but I knew uh, uh, I must have at some point stopped." Looked and listened, you know, Green Cross Code back in the day, wasn't it? And and just listen to them. And I think ministering grace and love on the front line means looking for the opportunities to serve, to show grace, to show love. Sometimes when it's undeserved. Ministering grace and love on the front line means to be countercultural because other people are waiting to judge, and let them get the instant karma. Let them get what they deserve. Ministering grace and love on the front line means not to be in so much of a rush, which often we are, is to miss people, but to actively look for them. Ministering grace and love on the front line means forgiving. Maybe it's your boss for breaking a promise or blaming you unfairly, or forgiving those that hold you up at the checkout or the petrol pump because they're talking so much to the the attendants. Or maybe someone's misquoted you, it happens to me. Forgive and show grace. Ministering grace and love means seeing the best in people. Frontlines really are all about people rather than programs. Many people, most people, are hurting in some way. They'll have their own issues. That might be transferred onto you. And when you recognise that, you can show grace and love. There's normally a reason for someone's attitude towards you or a situation. And if we can see beyond the inconvenience of going off with a hump if we can see the person and offer grace and love it can break down so many things ministering grace and love means generous living generous because God's been generous with me taking the focus off of myself proactively think how we might help someone else could be the new parent at the school gate the work colleague who's not doing that well and you just get alongside them someone maybe you haven't noticed them for a while Tell the golf club captain that a member is unwell. They'd really appreciate a call. All these little things uh, are showing and ministering grace and love. Remember what Jesus said as you go into your week. Wh- whatever you do, whatever, doesn't matter how small how big, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. That, should be, that encourages me to go and try and show grace and love wherever I can and look for those opportunities. Go and shine as Christians. I know we sang it and I made a joke, but shine, Jesus, shine. Fill this land with the Father's glory. Blaze, Spirit, blaze. Set our hearts on fire. Let the light of the world, he describes you as the light of the world, allow us to go and shine in the world. Because his Spirit's in us. You're going to sing soon, that the God of heaven is living in you. Go and let him out. You know We can really make a difference. I really believe... In this series that we're doing, because I believe it can really change uh, the, the culture and the attitude and the spirituality of everything around us. I believe that Christians can make such a difference if only we really recognise the power of God within us. And actually, when you start dropping those bits all over Billeric and beyond, of grace and love and mercy and kindness it makes a huge difference difference so go and do it I'm, I'm I'm really want to be intentional moving forward in this and I get it wrong uh, probably as much or if not more than you do and we're all our pilgrims on a journey but we should look for those opportunities remember grace and love don't have to they just are they just do they don't need a reason to they just are and that's the that's being made in the image of God I'm going to pray for us And then Bernard's going to lead us in worship. Father, we thank you that you are a God of grace and of love and of mercy. Thank you that you've made us in your image. And I thank you that you fill us with your spirit. And so I pray, Lord, for more of those characteristics in us. I pray as we go through this series, we'll recognise the difference we can make in even all the little things as well as the big things. That A kind word in season can really help somebody. An arm around them can really make a difference to their day. A phone call, a letter, a note, someone being recognised in a supermarket, the cleaner, the shop assistant, speaking politely, saying please and thank you, tipping a waitress, whatever it is, Lord, we can make a difference. And I pray you'd encourage us in that, Lord. I pray that we'd see those opportunities. I pray we'd seek them and see you at work in this place. pray your blessing on everybody here. And I pray, Lord, that uh, the words that are from you will seep into their hearts and they'll be so encouraged they can just go and shine your light for everybody to see. In Jesus' name, amen.